offer a message we brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele is entitled Knowing Truth. Thank you, John. <laughs> Boy, it's just a horrible feeling you get something stuck in your throat. As I experienced a few, uh, well, a week or so ago, when I, uh, Steve stood in for me, I, I managed to, on a business trip to get some food lodged in my throat. And I ended up having to go to the OR to get it out uh, while I was on the trip. So um, I certainly feel for Sean. Hopefully it's not that bad. If I, to, if I uh, were to ask you a question, what is the most important event in human history? What would you say the answer was? I heard whispers. Who's bold enough to raise their hand? Shout it out. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most important event in all of human history, whether all humans know it or not, the most important event. We're all on this trajectory, aren't we? We're all on this trajectory of death. Before we were even born, we were on this trajectory for death. We were going to be born, we were going to die, and that was going to be it. Until a child came into the world, grew up, to be a man, gave his life on a tree, and then three days and three nights later, was raised forevermore. The most important event in all of human history. And as a result of that, we have a new trajectory. We have a new direction. If we choose life, if we choose to follow Jesus Christ, then we have that new trajectory to follow into life eternal. If I was to ask you another question, though, what would be the next most important event in human history? Well, that's a, that, that's, a good, that's a good answer. It's not the one I was looking for. Second coming. Right? Because that enables us to be raised from the dead. That is that moment in time if we are dead in Christ that we are resurrected for life eternal. Amazing moment in time. One has already happened and now we're looking forward to the next event. The next most important event in all of human history. And you know that's of course what we should be looking forward to. That's the basis of Christianity right there. We just, we just described the bookends of Christianity. That it began with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and it will come to its fulfillment, not end, but fulfillment on this earth with his return. And so we look for that. We desire it. Reg talked about it in the first message. That's what we want to have happen because of what we know that will mean for every single person that lives on this planet. 
And it's interesting, in Matthew 24 and verse 23, Jesus gives us a warning about this. He gives us a warning that on the face of it, just seems kind of silly that he would have to give us this warning. Completely unnecessary. And yet, already, just in the few thousand years that we've seen from this time that he gave us this warning, we have seen it completely ignored. He said, in verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Look out for this. I've told you. I'm giving you a heads up. Be prepared for this. And something else in here, you know, depending on how you read it, you might say, well, if it were possible, it could even deceive the elect. But the word where isn't in there. If possible. Maybe it is. It could deceive the elect. So pay attention. I've told you, don't let yourself be deceived. Therefore, if, you, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. And you know what's further interesting about that passage is that he has been up until this point and even a little after this point in time when he's talking to his disciples he has been out in the desert right and he was in different places in a room somewhere and so now he's telling his disciples be prepared because things are about to change things are going to happen I'm not going to be here anymore, and I will return. And you need to really listen to me and not be deceived. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the, sunning of, sun, the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. What's the lightning? Not thunderclouds lightning that comes from the east to the west. It's the sunrise. If you see the sunrise, you know that it is day. If you can't see the sun, or the light from the sun, then it's night. So, you will see the return of Jesus Christ. There will be no secret place with a handshake and a knock on a door and, oh, and there he is. Everyone will see it. So what is all this about? What does this mean? What is Jesus getting at? And why did he have to give his disciples this kind of warning? And more importantly, what does it mean for those that are living in the last day? Which may not be yet. What does it mean for those that are living in the last day? As I said before, one of the most important events in all of, hum of, of, of human history, and in Christendom itself, is the return of Jesus Christ. When is he going to come back, and how, and, and where, are central to so many doctrines of Christianity and the Christian faith. 
Yet in spite of all of his warnings, the Christian world is riddled with all kinds of conflicting theories about what's going to happen. I mean, he made it pretty plain, pretty clear. And yet, for example, we have a theory called the secret rapture. The secret rapture, where the people of God are just poof. The taxi cab driver better not be one of those people, right? They just poof, disappear, and they're off somewhere in heaven, in another place. There's many theories. There's many variations. But they're not on the earth. And they've been secretly raptured away. And they live with Christ a thousand years, maybe. Which part of the sun comes from the east to the west is hard to understand. Where the carcass is, there the eagle are. Just have to look. If he's here, it will be visible for all to see. If he's not here, it'll be visible for all to see. So there's no mistaking the sunrise. Because that's what Jesus meant here. He's not talking about flashes of lightning. He was talking about the shining of the sun, bright as day. And there's no hiding it. There's no knocking it out. We cannot knock out the sun. Even a nuclear winter, we would still see some glowing through the clouds. So we can't change the plan of God. Jesus is clear. So again, back in Matthew 24 and verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Who's blocking out the sun? Who's blocking out the sun at this point? The Son of Man coming from the heavens. And then the tri all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Again, Jesus is perfectly clear. The whole world will see his coming. Will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with that power that glory that we want him to arrive in and take care of this earth and the people that are ruining this earth and liberate us. As Reg pointed out, the whole creation is waiting and groaning for this moment. And yet, for some reason, mankind wants to bring deception into this and hide the return of Jesus that it's a secret thing, and it's for special people, and that it excludes everyone else on the planet. The return of Jesus is for everyone. And he's shown that by the way he returns. The whole earth will see his coming. But Jesus says, look, I've told you ahead of time so that you don't be deceived. Don't be drawn in by these deceivers. So your faith, so our faith, won't be shaken when we believe a false doctrine about the return of Jesus Christ or any other false doctrine about 
what He is doing. We're so easily deceived, and when it doesn't happen, where does that leave our faith? So we're not drawn in in these deceptions. Remember the Apostle Paul also warned us in Timothy. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, he said, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from the childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. I mean, if we're not living in that time, then I don't know how worse it can get. If you, if you look on the Internet, you know, at all the, the things that are available at our, our fingertips, deceptions of every kind, every flavor. You can find articles and videos and audio clips and pictures that support Every possible ideology and theory, if you want to believe that aliens have visited the planet, you can find proof on the internet. Absolute proof. And then another search will find absolute proof that there isn't. And if you want to prove that man didn't really walk on the moon, well, you can find absolute proof of that too. I was an alien. Mark was an alien once. We were resident aliens. So maybe they are walking amongst us. I don't know. If we want proof of reincarnation or ghosts, you name it. Any kind of deception. And even mainstream topics, right? Things that are more sensible, that, the, that, that you wouldn't necessarily find on the front page of the Inquirer, right? Like, Ideologies to do with politics and government and Congress and the White House. I mean, there's deception there, right? It's fake news. Well, maybe it was real news and it's being made as fake news. I don't know. Who knows? Everything from vaccinations to one world government. There's arguments and deception on both sides of whatever ideology you want to believe and follow. How do we know? How can we know these things? How can we know? We, we don't know. We're not in the rooms, right, where these secret meetings are taking place. We're not watching as the rich and powerful are structuring the world. I don't know if that's true. I don't know that it isn't. How can we know? Paul said, it's deception. Imposters and evil men will get worse and worse. And we certainly see that in our world. And the availability of that information. Deception is perhaps at an unprecedented level in our society. And sometimes some of it comes out. But even then, even men, maybe once it's understood, well, how far did it really go? And how much did it really affect things? 
the whole Russian involvement in Western politics in, in elections. Well, if they were doing it, who else has been doing it? Right? There's a risk of that. Maybe they learned from us. But what is the truth? And where does the deception end? We've seen an incredible amount of deception in our world. Paul was right. Imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and they themselves being deceived, perhaps believing their own rhetoric, perhaps falling victim to the deception of others. Lies, building upon lies, until again we find ourselves at that same place that we've read just a few weeks ago where truth is just tossed out in the street. We don't even recognize it. We don't even understand it when we see it. So what can we do in the face of this deception? Jesus warned us about deception. Warned us specifically about being deceived about him and about his role and what he is doing on the earth. What can we believe? It's really pretty simple. It's really pretty simple. As Christians, I submit that we should have absolute faith in one source. One source. That's the Bible. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Jesus said so. He said it. It was really simple and it's very profound in John chapter 8 and verse 31. It's easy for us to miss it. In fact, this statement has been so overused that we've probably seen it in all kinds of places. I was surprised to learn that the CIA used to have this as a motto, if you can believe that. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Pretty simple but hard to do. It's hard to do. And what's interesting is that when we look at that and we see that, that verse there, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's the part of the verse that we see most. But people forget that Jesus said, if you abide in my word, there's a requirement For you to know the truth, you have to abide in his word. You have to be in his word. Then you have to be his disciple. And then you will know the truth. There's three parts to this. Four. Because then we are made free. We have to stay and immerse ourselves in God's word. Other materials, other books, other articles, no matter how good, are not the word of God. Even listening to sermons and coming to church is not the same thing. You must be in the word. In the word of God. But if we don't abide in the word of God, then we have no context from which to place any other information. And we're bombarded with information, aren't we? In the world around us. You turn on the radio for the drive to work, and you've received all kinds of news information. 
Could be true, might not be. How are we to know? If we are studying the Word of God, we can hear and discern and understand what is truth. Certainly something the CIA has forgotten. Or maybe they'll learn it as they're listening into this message today. There's also something else that's overlooked, even when Christians read the scripture. It's almost kind of like a mystical element to it. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That you can somehow th see through every deception that's out there. That you can see through every lie, that you have force powers. I know that you're not telling me. We're not endowed with those extra powers. But we do know the truth. So what is he saying? You shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. What is truth? Pilate said that, right? Shortly before he sent Jesus to be killed. What is truth? And it's standing right in front of him. Right in front of him. Truth liberates. Truth, truth sets us free. And there's only one source of freedom. And that is Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. If we abide in his word, if we have the truth in us through his word, we are abiding in him and in his Father. He said that. Abide in me. I abide in you. We're in that word. And Jesus is the word. His word, the book that we read, every chapter and every verse is truth. These words have come down through the ages. They've come down at the sacrifice of lives. Incredible sacrifice by men and women to pass on the word of God to us that has changed our lives, that causes so much trouble in our lives that has moved our lives around and forced us to look at ourselves and who we are and has brought us to repentance and to change. Powerful word. Everything else that we have outside of the Bible, outside of the word of God, outside of Jesus himself, are just words. It's just information. Just facts without context, without foundation. Jesus Christ, the word of God himself, and his words are written down for us to trust. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to trust that word? Are we willing to measure every source that we read? Are we willing to measure every other belief every political ideology, every principle, every doctrine, every Facebook post that we read or post, are we willing to measure that against the word of God? If we 
requires time. That requires study. And it requires an awareness of the things that are affecting our minds and what we're taking in and what we're reading and what we're saying and how we're interacting with the world and with others. The Word of God is there as a tool to help us, but it's so easily forgotten and left in the box. Oh, I, I know the scriptures. I can tell this person this, or I can explain it that. We need to use the Word of God. You know, in many ways, we haven't really been tested yet, have we? Part of the world we live in, we're pretty safe. We're really pretty comfortable. We still have our freedom to an extent. Well, we can cause ourselves some trouble. We can get out there and we can get in people's faces and we can proclaim the word and there will be those that come against us and maybe throw some rocks or the odd piece of fruit. But we haven't really yet been tested. Those attacks have not deprived us of our liberty our possessions, or our life. We might be mocked from time to time, belittled, undermined, sneered at, you know, snickered at behind our backs by family, friends, colleagues. That's easy stuff. That's not hard. That's not real persecution. If we abide in his word, if we believe what Jesus has told us, we must know that real persecution is coming. We must know that. We have to accept that. And we must know that deception becomes more powerful the greater the threat of persecution comes. The more we are persecuted, the more that we're put upon, the more enticing a deception might be to take that easier path, to, to get out of this struggle and allow ourselves to be deceived. Deception and belief and endurance and truth and faith are bound together in this struggle in the earth, but in us. And we have to choose. And we have to endure. Back in Matthew 24 and verse 4, Jesus answered them, uh, said to them, he said, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For these things must come, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. We've heard all these things before. I mean, you could take that one passage and say, well, that's like most of human history. There's been wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms against each other throughout time. But yet every generation, it seems, looks in their own time and says, oh, I, I see these, these wars. Ah, looks like we're on our way. It's finally all started. 
and every revival and prophet that has come up in the past and said, you know, the end is near. Jesus is coming on this day and at this time. I've been wrong. It's totally wrong. And there's been many of them. Perhaps they did it on purpose. Perhaps they did it to get a following, to get money. Who knows? Perhaps they were just victims of deception too. They didn't listen to what Jesus said about when he's going to come and how he's going to come. Jesus said, don't think that the end is near. Just because you see wars and rumors of wars. But what do we do? We look at the news. We look at wars, especially the ones that our country is involved in, you know, the really sticky ones. I'm remembering the first Gulf War. There was a lot of hype in the, in, in the Christian community about just the start. They're going to sweep in and, go, and then we'll end up in Jerusalem. And there's, you know, it's the Battle of Armageddon's coming. It's easy to get drawn into those things. Because again, we, we are looking for the return of Jesus, and we want the return of Jesus. So let's see if we can see the things that are supposed to come before that. And then we say, aha, there we go. This looks like it. Bring it on. Jesus said, no, the end is not yet. It's just the beginning just the beginning of sorrows. There's a lot more to happen. There's a lot more things that need to happen for this to be finally the end time and bring about the return of Jesus Christ. These wars and famines and pestilence have happened before, but what will make them different is about what happens next. Then, it says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. And they'll stumble. They'll fall away. And will betray one another. And will hate one another. It's interesting. There was another time that this happened also. There was another time when something similar to this happened. In fact, I'm reminded of one time when Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples how that, they, that he was the manna sent from heaven. You remember that passage? That he was the manna, he was the bread from heaven, the true bread. And that in order to have life in us, he said, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Disciples are just, what? It says in John chapter 6 and verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Again, this same notion of offending, does, does this make you stumble and fall? What then? If you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you our spirit, and they are life. It's God's word, right? Coming back to the word again. Word, the word of God is life. His spirit is life and truth. 
Not the things that we can see. Not the miracles. Not the great wonders that we know are going to come on the earth. And if we're looking for those things, instead of the word of God, we might just get to see. He said, but there are some of you who do not believe. But Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And then he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him. They just walked back. And you and I might be thinking, how can you hear the words of Jesus and see the things that he has done and then just give up on this and, and not believe anymore? They walked away. They gave up. How could someone do that? How could they do that and believe the truth? How could they do that and still believe that Jesus was the truth. They couldn't. The only place that you can go if you reject truth is deception, is lies. That's the only other place to go. The truth is the truth. They have to let their minds be deceived. Otherwise, it just wouldn't make any sense. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? I don't know. Maybe some of them were thinking about it. I don't know. It doesn't say. But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, <laughs> really, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know but you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I remember really reading that for the first time when I was pretty young, maybe 16 or 17. It was one of those moments where I was like, well, this is the way it is. Because you've come to the place where you understand that Jesus is real, that he is the truth, that he is the way and the life. And there's no other option. There's no other choice. You can't go to another life and, and have a different lifestyle. This is where we are at. This is all we have to choose from. Where else is there for, for us to go? We know the truth. We have only one alternative. Just to let our minds become deceived. Somehow be deceived in this lie and this deception. The red or the blue pill, isn't it? Who knows what that is? Renee said not many people would know what that is. From the Matrix. Was it the blue pill that will take you back into deception? I can't remember which way around it was. The, the red takes you back? Okay. That's all the choices we have. The red or the blue pill. So going back to Matthew 24 when there are wars and rumors of wars, when Christians are being delivered up to the authorities and killed, 
then surely the return of Jesus is getting close. That has to be the trigger, right? That has to be the moment. Perhaps. But perhaps not. It's happened before. It has happened before. Countless times. In fact, you know, the, the early church experienced it. When the authorities were coming against them, and I'm sure they probably thought Jesus was coming here pretty soon. When all that persecution was coming on them. Countless times since. Christians, real believers, have endured persecution after persecution, and some of which, some of whom, like Paul said, don't even know who they are. Unnamed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doubting the word of God. I'm not doubting. I believe everything that Jesus is saying. I believe all of this is going to happen. It will come to pass. He is going to make it come to pass. The Father is going to make it come to pass. And he will return in his glory. I doubt my ability to see through all the machinations that are going on in the world. I can't see all of that. I can't discern all of those things. I can read the prophecies. And I can prepare my mind. All I can do is read the word. And stay in the word of God. And be prepared for what comes, whether it's the end or not. Whether it's just the end of me or not. What I need to know, and what each one of us needs to know, is Jesus Christ and his words of life. We need to know him. He is the truth. We need to know him personally and his word. And we don't then we won't fall victim to deception, to the cunning words of man. Then, verse 11, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We have some of this today. We've seen false prophets rise up and have followings and lead people down the garden path. We've even had some in our own tradition, but we're not immune. The kingdom of God was supposed to be here already. I would have missed out. Supposed to be here. But it's not yet. Jesus has not come back. Yet. It's natural for us to want to know when Jesus will return. We want him here. And we, and we want to look for those signs that say he's coming. And I can remember being a kid my, my parents would say, oh, you know, your uncle, uh, your uncle Bernie and your cousins are coming over today. They're going to come over for a visit. And I'd be a, as a kid, I'd go outside like every five minutes. I'm looking for the signs, right? The signs of their car coming down the road. Oh, there's a car. Nope, that's him. Get on my bike, go to the corner. I can see them a little earlier if I get further away, right? I can see them sooner. I can see the signs quicker so disappointed if something happens. I get back to the house. Oh, they called. They got a flat tire. They couldn't. They We're looking for those signs because we want our Savior here. We want the blessings of his kingdom to be on the earth. Knowing where we are in history and prophecy 
looking at the sign, trying to understand what's going to happen. That's, that's okay to a point. But I think we are much more interested in that than God is. Now, that may seem silly because, I mean, he's orchestrating it. So he knows what's going to happen. He's bringing it about. But I think he's less interested in it for us than we are. What is more important to him is what Jesus says next when he says that he who endures to the end shall be saved. What Reg was talking about. He who endures to the end. And you have to endure not knowing all the details. You have to endure not knowing why you're going through difficulty and challenges. You have to endure life, not knowing when he's going to arrive. He said, but if you endure to the end, you shall be saved. Rock solid promise. For you and I, God is much more interested in our endurance than perhaps anything else. That stubborn, true grit, that Red said unwaverable commitment to knowing the truth, to following the truth, and allowing the truth, Jesus Christ, to set us free, to mix it up in our lives, to accept what he's doing in our lives, and to make us free. And we're not talking about a commitment on easy street. This is easy street right now. I know each, each one of us has personal challenges at different times, and I'm not diminishing that at all. The persecution to come is different. And we have to have endurance in order to get through that. I'm reminded of the, the passage in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I just love their answer to Nebuchadnezzar. I just love it. Well, you know, we don't know if God will save us or not, right? said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If that is the case, our God, if we're going to get thrown in here, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if he won't deliver us, that stubborn endurance says, you need to know, we will not worship your God. We will not become wrapped up in your deception and your lies, we will not. And we'll go to our grave. And we will believe and trust and have faith. Nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Do we have that level of faith? That endurance. That regardless of what happens, Regardless of what happens, whether God saves us out of an ordeal or not, even if he lets us suffer in pain and difficulty and brings hardship or allows hardship, even if we have terrible loss, will we have the endurance, the persistence to continue?
continue in the truth and not be turned aside to deception. You know, the funny thing about endurance is that we don't just either have it or we don't. There are certain characteristics of, of individuals, stubbornness, like Reg pointed out, but endurance is something that has to be worked for. It's a muscle. So if we're going to run on a marathon, if we're going to do a triathlon, which one of us can get off the couch and just go do it right away? Five minutes later, we're flattening our feet, right? Flatten our face. We're done. We need to build up our endurance. And that's what we're doing. We're training. We need to condition our bodies, prepare for the necessary stresses and strains. So our bodies are ready and are able to endure. So that's what we're doing now. Because the alternative is to give up, to believe a lie, go back into the deception and pick your flavor, swallow the pill, and reject the truth. And of course, the irony of all that is we'll still have to deal with life at the other end of it, now without help without God's grace and without the truth arming us and helping us to make good decisions. And without the ability to learn from those circumstances that will come on us anyway and not turn that into the muscle necessary for endurance. Verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we need to quit looking at the little stages that come before and look for a moment when the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached throughout the world. Then the end will come. Then Jesus comes. Then he will return. There will be this preaching of this gospel, the eugelion, the good news. Long for that. We'll come to this earth. The truth that Jesus is real. That he is the word of God. That he is the truth. And that he has come to set us free. Then we'll be free from deception, from sin. We'll be in the kingdom.